From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. What a privilege, man. What a privilege to be able to, to just come together as a family and worship. I want to I want to make some declarations that I think are important for us and for where we're at and where we're going. Um, it's easy to cry out and cry out for revival and ask the Lord to do what's in His heart. And I just would love to say I think I think it's already begun. I just I feel so challenged by the Lord this last couple of weeks to um, to kind of stop asking and start agreeing and declaring with what we're seeing. Um, I know you're used to me being a little more emotional when I teach, but after leading worship, I'm just going to be really chill. So, um, I think sometimes the strength of what we say needs to not be in how it's said. It needs to be in the reality of it. There's a movement. There's a release that's already been released in the heavens. There's something in the Lord's heart and He's already declared for this region. And if you really just settle down and, and invite your spirit to pay attention, you can sense it. What a privilege to live in a day when the Lord's outpouring is happening. We live in a blessed city, a blessed region already, but what's it going to look like when the rest of our city will say, God is really here among you? He's not just a concept, he's actually a living God. You see, the presence of God was always on display through the miraculous throughout the history of the church because it's the inarguable reality of who he is. Academically, sometimes we can argue. We can declare, I believe this or I don't believe this, but isn't it amazing what happens when blind eyes are open, when the supernatural becomes natural, when prophetic words begin to flow, really commonplace, it's easy, and, and the lost begin to realize there's something bigger than me. See, that's the point. The heart cry for revival, the declaration of what God is doing is because for God so loved the world that he made a choice to give his son so that his presence would invade earth. There's a statement in 1 Corinthians 14. We, we ended with the first idea last week, which is let love be your highest goal. And if we read all of 14, it's awesome. It's amazing. I don't know if we, we, may, we might have time. But there's this last verse in the passage, the chunk I want to look at today. This last phrase that says, As they listen, their secret thoughts will be laid bare, and they will fall down on their knees and worship God, declaring, God is really here among you. So I want you to listen to this text with the lens of what Paul's pushing towards. Is he's, create, he's talking about how we gather. He's talking about what it looks like for we, the family of God, to gather. Like So there's some that would teach this is protocols, it's rules, it's order. I just want to pull back from that a little bit and hear the heart of it, which is Paul's saying what, what's going to happen is the lost are going to come in and they're going to be so invaded by the supernatural that their statement is, whoa, 
God exists. He's actually here among you. So let love be your highest goal, but also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the gift of prophecy. For if your gift is the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking to God, but not to people. And since they will not be able to understand you, you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies is helping others grow in the Lord, encouraging and comforting them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally in the Lord, which because of that all of us should want it, just for the record. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you all had the gift of speaking in tongues, but even more, I wish you were all able to prophesy. For prophecy is a greater and more useful gift than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church can get some good out of it. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you talking in an unknown language, how would I help you? But if I bring you some revelation or some special knowledge or some prophecy or some teaching, that is what will help you. Even musical instruments like the flute or harp, though they are lifeless, are examples of the need for speaking in plain language. For no one will recognize the melody unless the notes are played clearly. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know that they're being called to battle? And it is the same for you. If you talk to people in a language they don't understand, how will they know what you mean? You might as well be talking to an empty room. There are so many different languages in the world, and all are excellent for those who understand them, but to me, they mean nothing. I will not understand people who speak those languages, and they will not understand me. So since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, ask God for those that will be of real help to the whole church. So anyone has the gift of speaking in tongues should pray also for the gift of interpretation in order to tell people plainly what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, what then shall I do? I will do both. I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will sing in words I understand. Okay, let's push pause for a second. There's more. So Paul's talking about, he's dialing in on a couple gifts of the Spirit, and we understand he's writing to the Corinthian church, this young church who's learning how to push out into these gifts and become the household of God. Why would Paul talk about tongues so heavenly? Because they were misusing it. They were super excited about the fact that tongues was a gift from God, so they would come together and they would just talk to each other in tongues, assuming that somebody would supernaturally get the download. And it was kind of chaotic. So Paul's giving a tutorial here. What I want us to focus on in this is not what Paul's saying about how to use it, not to use it. I want us to focus on the fact that Paul's encouraging them into the gifts of the Spirit. He's just saying there's some, there's some protocols, there's some function that will help you. He says, for if you praise God only in your spirit, how will those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How will they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? But you'll be giving thanks very nicely, no doubt, but it doesn't help the other people present. So with this small idea, we realize that there's something about when we gather that it might be important for us to grab onto. When we gather, it's not about us. It's about us. It's not about me personally. It's about us as a family. And that went over big. (laughs) I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So I'm not here to say anything for demonstration value. I'm here to say this from a biblical point of view. Do we get the idea that Paul's super hyped on the idea of tongues? That he thinks it's a really, really important thing. 
that the person who prays in tongues is strengthened personally. I don't know about you, but I want every advantage I can have in the kingdom. And so my encouragement is we should push into these things. The problem with the charismatic Pentecostal idea through history is not that we're, people struggle with the gifts of the Spirit. It's that people can't figure out why we all lean into the crazy stuff all the time. And Paul's saying, look, there's some stuff that's meant for you. It's, it's, in, it's actually for you personally. I want you to use it. But when you're together, I want you to focus on the stuff that's for everybody. And so he's giving them a, a kind of a coaching meeting. Because he says, but in a church meeting, one of the few times this phrase will come up in the, in the scriptures, in a church meeting, which helps us know it's legal and right to meet in the church. So anybody's like, I don't need to meet in the church, I can just love Jesus on my own. I disagree, you can for sure love Jesus on your own, but there's a thing you need in the church. And we're going to talk about that, we're going to flesh that out. There's something supernatural that God has put on his people when we come together. That it's really the only place that this thing will ever be expressed on the earth, which is a pretty big idea. He said, I'd rather in a church meeting speak five understandable words that will help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature and wise in understanding matters of this kind. So all of us in this room have a mandate from Scripture right now to wrap our brains around this stuff. We also have a mandate to be innocent towards evil. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. It's written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through unknown languages and through the lips of foreigners, but even then, they will not listen to me. I don't totally understand why Paul uses some verses where he uses them. He's one of the worst exegetical guys in history at pulling verses out of nowhere, throwing them in, and making them make sense, which is great because God blessed it, but in this one, I'm not totally sure why he pulls it in. It does sound kind of fun here, though. The point of it is, God is using all this stuff to speak. I just hear this very sad moment where the Lord's like, even then they won't listen to me. How many want to be people that listen to God? Not just in a cool, yeah, that's a good phrase in church to say yes to. But think about what, that would, what, what we could extrapolate from that. I'm going to put a line in the sand and say, as for me, as for my house, as for my lifetime, when God speaks, no matter what God speaks, I will obey. Done. Over. Because I do not want my father to look at me and say, oh, no matter what I tell him, he doesn't listen. You see, because if I can't hear the directives of God, I also can't hear the promises of God. Because it's the same filter that hears them both. And there are things that God will whisper into our lives, things of promise that he wants us to go out and tackle. And I would submit to you that God will often use the words of coaching and encouragement spoken very softly to ask this question of us, do they want my voice? And when I learn to appropriate the voice of the Lord and step into those tough places, the things I know God's dealing with me, I'm going, hey, I want you to adjust this in your life. You're like, okay, yes, Father, I'll do that. Then I open the door for him to say, okay, I want to release promise. I want to release prophetic to you. I know you listen now. Wasn't in the notes. was probably good for somebody. <laughs> so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for the believers, but for the unbelievers. Whoa, time out. How many have ever heard the phrase seeker-sensitive church? Where we strip everything spiritual out of it because we don't want to freak people out. I'm going to go on record officially, theologically, and say tongues is a sign for the unbeliever. So the first idea of seeker-sensitivity in the scripture is about the spiritual gifts. Do with that what you want. 
It's a sign not for the believers, but for the unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting and hear everyone talking in an unknown language, they will think, you are crazy. I love this. I love that Paul just calls it out and says, they're just going to walk in and think you're wackadoos. Let's not do that. But if all of you are prophesying, remember prophecy is being able to hear something from heaven that we did not know through natural means. It's declaring the word of the Lord, something where the Lord will whisper spiritual knowledge. But if you're prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin. They'll be condemned by what you say. Paul, he's just so harsh with his language, but you get the point. They're going to feel the awareness of God. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be laid bare, and they will fall down on their knees and worship God, declaring, God is really here among you. I think this phrase, God is really here among you, sums up all of this. And with this statement, what I see that I just want to talk about, maybe today, maybe next week as well, is that God wants to be known and experienced in our gatherings. Have you ever considered the reality of that? That it's not our idea for His manifest presence to be found when we gather. It's actually His. How many would say that makes sense? Shouldn't that change how we pray? Instead of coming in and crying out, oh God, oh God, oh God, would you please, would you please, would you please, what happens if we just go, hey, we know you already want to be here. We know you're passionate to release heaven on earth. You see, because when I say that phrase, the next thing that happens is I should ask myself a question. How does that happen? There's, there's three things, four things. I think there's three things I wanted to highlight about why I think God wants to pour out his presence in our gatherings. You think about chapter 12. In chapter 12, we looked at all the different gifts of the Spirit that our Father wants to release on the earth. Tongues, prophecy, healing, all these fun signs and wonders, ability to work in miracles. 13 talks about this incredible, chapter 13 talks about this incredible love, this incredible, patiently kind Father that we have who is love. And and, and Paul will talk about the The fact that our heart towards the world around us has to be set in that place where we align with him and we're patiently kind towards the world around us. How many have been challenged lately with a lack of patiently kindness in your life? Patient kindness, this idea God is patient and kind. God is love, therefore love is patient and kind. So if I'm going to walk in love, appropriate love, it needs to come through a lens of being patient and kind. So then Paul steps into 14 and says, What's in the heart of our Father who's given these gifts, who is loving, is He wants people to be able to come into our gatherings and experience Him, encounter Him. Could I suggest to you that it has never been in the heart of God for academics to know Him? Academia will lead us to an understanding of Him. Theology will help my worldview. But the reality is, He's always, from the beginning, been a God who wanted to be experienced and known. And so when his people gather, it would so be antithetical for the presence of God to not be on display. 
For us to limit the expression of the presence of God would be the equivalent of someone coming to my house and my family saying to me, we would love it if you went upstairs and made yourself scarce. You're a little unnerving. We're not sure the world around us knows how to handle you. How about you go there when we're sure they're comfortable, we're going to invite you back downstairs to the party. This is not a soapbox, but this is a moment where we should have our theology realigned to say, Man, the scriptures are pretty clear. God wants to be known when we gather. Therefore, for us to be a people that host the presence of God is important. You see, his presence in our gatherings corrects misunderstandings of who he is. There are people coming in with what I would call bad God image. They just don't know him. They know what they've been taught about him. They know what someone has told them about him. They know whatever leadership structures have have influenced in their hearts. I'll give you an example Three weeks ago, he just sat down with me and said, I want to talk to you about how you understand promise. Because I had, for some reason, understood promise, the promise of God, through the lens of of my upbringing. And in my upbringing, promises were made but rarely kept. That's not to disparage anyone. It's just to say, I grew up with a really lighthearted view of a promise. To me, they were suggestions. If someone said, I'm going to do this for you, I just took it as, eh, maybe. So I could condition myself that I would be able to go through life and not be gravely disappointed. Because disappointment is not fun. So I just decided to insulate myself. And it was easier for me to believe it might happen. It might not. I'm going to be good either way. I woke up today. I'm breathing. I'm all right. The problem with it is when the Lord would come and speak a promise to me, I would hear it through the same lens. I would hear it through the lens of maybe. Doesn't matter. And I would think it was really theologically right. doesn't matter if you do it or not. I'm good. I don't need anything from you. See, what I was doing by thinking I was, cover, I was covering my own insecurities, but it was so hardwired in my theology. And his statement three weeks ago, I'm homesick. It's early on a Tuesday or Wednesday morning. He said, I want to talk to you about how you understand promise. You don't understand. I bind my name to what I say. And if I say it, it's going to happen. And if you don't understand that, you won't know how to stand for what I've said and watch for it and work towards it. That was a major life moment for me. You see, his presence, his voice, addresses our misunderstandings of who he is. And I'm just going to say, as people continue to come, they're coming in. The presence of God on display when we gather is paramount because there are bad God images that need to be corrected. And there's nothing that corrects them like an encounter with him. You encounter the love of God and all of a sudden you don't know what to do. How many have been in times when the gathering we just just weep because you're like, I can't figure out why I'm crying. Just like I can't stop crying because I just feel so loved. I feel so forgiven. How many have been in rooms where the presence of God is so pervasive and thick that all the hair stands up on your arms? You're just like, I don't know what this is, but I know it is something. You see, this is his passion to be known. All right, I'm going to skip ahead because I don't know if that's that good. Um, You see, what I want to talk about is how. How is his presence known and experienced in our gatherings? Paul says this phrase, but the one who prophesies, and I would just say it this way, when we're each listening to his voice and are actively functioning in our gifting, we are creating an environment for his presence. What if I view my gift mix as the responsibility 
I'm here to function in it because we, the family of God, need to all be pushing into our gifts because we're trying to create a, an environment to host the king of glory. And Paul will say, but the one who prophesies, and what he, what he shares in that is there's an ownership side of it that we have to walk in, which I have to own my gifting. I have to be willing to be vulnerable. I'm just gonna tell you, you've gotta be willing to be wrong. Could I suggest to us that being wrong, pushing into gifting is okay? What's the worst thing that's gonna happen? You apologize. Hey, you know what, I don't know if that was God, I'm sorry. Like I have zero stomach for somebody who's like, no, that was God. I'm like, it might be. We, you know, we just read in 13 that we see, we look through a glass darkly, we see in part, we know in part, which means don't get super bent out of shape if you made a mistake. It's just part of being human. What I love, though, is the heart drive to say, I want to push out and function in my gifting. I'm going to learn. What happens if the church is a safe place to learn about the things of God? What do we do if somebody walks in and they want to start walking up to everybody and speaking in tongues? Can you imagine how funny that would be? During the fellowship time, they're just walking up and they're just speaking in tongues over people. Biblically, we would want to pull them aside and go, hey, I love, love, love the passion. However, I need you to find five words in English and use those today. Because that's going to help people more. We love your gifting. We're not against your gifting. But we're here to help each other. I'm here. You're here to motivate the world around me towards the king. See, the prophetic's fundamentally about hearing his voice and releasing it on earth. And so when we are willing to step into our gifts, and Paul talks about prophecy pretty heavily. It's interesting right now. We're in a time, if we're going to look at the time of life we're in, we're in a time where the prophetic is being deeply, deeply challenged in the American church. There are significant church movements that have decided the prophetic needs to be pulled away because it's, it's weird and it weirds people out. I, I, I'm not arguing. It is sometimes. The problem is it seems to be that God says the prophetic on display in the people of God is the thing that causes the lost at some point in their life to go, whoa, God's really here. Why would we want to strip that out of our culture? Well, because we don't want to be weird. Hey, have you ever paid attention to humanity? It's weird already. I don't think the prophetic's weird. What I think the prophetic is is a responsibility. It forces me to want to spend time with him, a lot of time with him, so I know his voice well. It forces me to want to spend time in the scriptures, a lot of time in them, so I understand the lens, how to release. Remember when Dr. J was here during, last October, he talked to us about the prophetic, and he talked about learning how to release the prophetic through the lens of the scripture so it has mooring, and, 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 and there's something about it when it happens, when I could say, hey, I just see something going on in your life, I think it's very similar to what happened to Ruth, and here's what I see the Lord doing, and all of a sudden that person's like, well, I don't know what that is, I gotta go find out who Ruth is. Now they have a mooring. You see, we're pushing into the spirit of God, we're pushing into the miraculous, because we want to create an environment where people's lives can be altered. It's not about going to church. When we come together, we have a function, a purpose. And it is to be people that host the presence of God in such a manner that the lost or other believers that don't understand these things, is what Paul talks about, can step into the more of the Lord because we've created an environment that's done in order and decency, but it's easy. Oh, we gotta go. Let's stand. Worship leader problems.
So for the record, it got through like 30% of what I had. <laughs> we'll be here again next week. God is really here among you. What a phrase. To be people that host the presence of God. We're going to talk about what it looks like more. Becoming people that would put the line in the sand and say, I live in my life, I will give the rest of my days to host the presence of God. To walk in an intimate relationship with the voice of the king of the universe. And when we all come together and we're all doing that, it torches vertical. And it becomes a place where the, the, the supernatural is natural. Where heaven invades earth. And maybe you're scared of it. I don't really. I just would love to offer this idea. This isn't a human idea. This is God's idea. That the people of God were always intended to host the presence of God, to function in it, so the lost could be changed, so marriages could be changed, so lives could be changed. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Father, we love you. Thanks for today. What an incredible time with you already. Holy Spirit, um, I know we didn't get through all the material. It's okay. I ask that what we got through would resonate deeply in our hearts. That you lead us and guide us into all truth. That you challenge us some more. We do love you. We love this life you've called us to. We're so excited about what you're doing in our city already. What you're doing in our region already. Lord, we love the fact that we can see on the horizon the clouds of revival that are already moving this direction. We feel it. We sense it. We know it. Lord, teach us how to get comfortable with the fact that we are not of this earth. That we are from a heavenly place. We are citizens of a different world. And Holy One, we invite you whenever we gather to invade our culture because it's what you said you wanted to do. And we just say yes. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.